Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Andrew, as well. It's great to great to hear. AGMs are exciting. I just want to say that because you know I, I've run a few myself, and you know they're very exciting places to be. So do do make it along if you can. Uh, so we're starting a new series um, today called "Who Are We." And uh, is based out of the early chapters of uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And, uh, you know, we know um, Paul spent perhaps about 18 months um, in Corinth. Oh, there you go. Fancy kind of uh, title screen there for you. Who are we? Um, Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth. um, And um, we know that whilst he was there, he used to go every week um, to the synagogue uh, trying to reason with um, the, uh, the Jews and the Greeks that are there, trying to persuade them about the gospel of Jesus. And uh, he gathers together in that place some, some people who, who, who put their faith in Jesus, who, who become Christians and who start to gather as um, a little fledgling church in Corinth. And so after you know, a year and a half, Paul moves on to another place, to Ephesus, and does a very similar thing um, there with quite some controversy. Um, but whilst Paul is in Corinth, he hears some reports that things aren't going so well. Uh, for the church in Corinth. Um, You know, some people seem to be claiming a kind of a level of superiority over others. Um, You know, even suing, um, you know, one Christian suing another Christian and going to a court, um, a public court to do so. There's um, suggestions of of sexual misbehaviour, of real disunity amongst um, the believers there. And so Paul writes this letter that we call 1 Corinthians, to the church there. And, and what we're seeing is only kind of half the conversation. We're only seeing what Paul says. We don't, we don't see what's kind of responded to, um, to Paul and what's said. Um, but in many ways, whilst Paul is speaking into many of the problems of the Corinthian church um, in the early parts of this letter, as we work through this series, we can learn so much for ourselves about our calling and about our identity both as followers of Jesus, but also as members of his worldwide church. And so we're going to pick a couple of those over this series and look at some of these statements about who we are as the people of God. And the first one um, that we're looking at is this truth that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are saved. We are saved. Uh, you know, uh, the passage we're thinking about today kind of really um, kind of came home to me last night. Um, we, get, we had a little family gathering, uh, both to celebrate Ed's um, birthday today, also my sister's birthday also today. They're born on different, uh, different years, um, but they're on the same day. And uh, I'm exactly a week later. So for the Marsh family, you know, we kind of, this is a kind of a you know, big, busy time of year. And so we get together and we had a little fun get together uh, in Windsor uh, yesterday. And so um, Ruth and I, as we were driving home, um, I... What, what we tend to do is I talk through my talk to Ruth and then she gives me some feedback uh, on it and, uh, and it improves as a result of, of that feedback. And, uh, and you know, one of the things she, you know, she was reflecting on um, and, uh, and as we were kind of um, moving on from that, uh, we were listening to a, uh, a podcast um, called the HTB Leadership Podcast. If you ever listened to that, um, it's great. Uh, it's well worth looking up on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, and the one we were listening to was um, an interview with someone called Jackie Pullinger. You might have heard of Jackie Pullinger. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I've, I've kind of heard and, and, and um, read um, a number of her books, Chasing the Dragon, fantastic book. Um, and uh, you might well have done too. Um, this was, um, and she is, uh, an amazing lady. 
you know, at the age of 22, she was a young music student and went on her own to Hong Kong. And she spent um, many years of her life um, working in one of the darkest places um, in, in the world at the time, a place called the Walled City. And, uh, and this was a place that um, was left out of the treaty between China and Britain. Um, and so it was, it was kind of a, um, a little ecosystem, if you like, all of its own, that was um, a lawless place. There were no laws um, in this, this walled city. And so as you can imagine, with a lawless place, all sorts of lawless activities uh, took place. And so this young girl, this young lady, goes and lives in this place, a place of the triad gangs, a, a place of drug dealers and of, of many sex workers and all sorts of brokenness. And, and Jackie Pullinger goes there as this young lady just wanting to share the good news of Jesus with those people. And she had a tremendous impact on the walled city. And in fact, when they, when they tore down the walled city and when they, um, when they replaced it, you know, they, they erected this wonderful garden. And in this garden, you can see a plaque to, to Jackie Pullinger and all the good work that she did over many years um, in that place. You know, in many ways, she was young. She was, um, to some extent, pretty naive uh, going into, into that situation on her own. But she was stepping out in faith. She was responding to what she felt the Lord was calling her to do in her time and place. You know, she saw many miracles, many amazing things happen. Um, but most importantly, she saw the gospel transform lives. And, uh, you know, if you want to find out more, listen to that podcast, uh, listen to that interview with, with her. Really, really interesting. Uh, read her book, Chasing the Dragon. Um, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful um, book. Uh, now, today we are thinking about a passage that, uh, that Paul writes right at the start of Corinth. And, um, and, you know, that interview with Jackie really made me think of that. Um, because, you know, Paul writes to um, these early believers and, and he reminds them that, that actually, you know, we, we may, may all feel like at times that we are a bit like Jackie Pullinger, kind of young and naive. We, we, we feel weak. We feel powerless in ourselves um, to make a difference. And Paul talks about this, particularly in relation to the cross. And he says the cross seems like something that is ridiculous, it seems like something which is, um, is completely foolish to believe in. And I think for us, reading kind of 2,000 years on from, um, from this, um, that can fail to land with us in some ways. Uh, because for us, you know, the cross is everywhere. You know, we can be very familiar with, um, with the cross. You know, men and women like to wear it around their necks in kind of gold and silver. It's a piece of jewellery um, where we like to show off our style. See what I did there? Uh, show off our style um, as we wear a cross. Uh, you know, for others, we might wear it humbly um, as an expression of our faith. Um, and yet in Jesus's day, uh, the cross wasn't a nice piece of jewellery to wear around your neck. It was a horrific form of state torture. It was a death that was reserved for the most degraded, most despised people in Roman society. If you were a Roman citizen, you would not be crucified because Roman citizens were seen to be above the degrading uh, situation of being crucified, no matter what they had done. Slaves were executed. Rebels were executed via uh, the cross. Citizens were not. And it was so despised that 
being crucified would always be something that happened outside the city walls, something away from the city, away from uh, civilization. A despised and, and rejected form of persecution and, and execution it was that was reserved for the lowest of the low. Crucifixion then was about weakness. It was about humiliation. It was about defeat. And in our passage today, Paul talks about the cross being seen as some as foolishness and to others a stumbling block because it seemed utterly ridiculous that we would somehow see the cross as a form of victory. And so let's read the passage. Another nice picture of the cross for you there that I should have put up. There you go, lovely nails. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 17 through to 2, verse 5. And I, I'm getting to that age now where I need some glasses too. Uh, actually, I've got my contact lenses in and I'm still struggling. Uh, so it says this, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptise, Paul says, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where, where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign. Uh, Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the, Jew, to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. And therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Wonderful passage. Quite, quite, quite a lot going on there, isn't there? Quite a lot going on in that passage, but a fantastic one. You know, Paul here is writing to Corinth, 
And Corinth at this time was a happening place uh, in the Roman Empire. You know, originally a Greek city that was destroyed by the Romans. Um, it was then turned into a Roman colony by Julius Caesar back in 44 BC. Um, it was a bit of a, um, if you like, a new build. Um, you can see a, 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 a kind of artist's impression here of Corinth around the time that um, Paul is writing this letter to them because it was a, a busy seaport in the Mediterranean. It was a port city, uh, a place that was a bit of a melting pot, full of life, full of diversity, a cosmopolitan place, a place where you could get on, where you could make something of your life. It was a place where debaters and traveling teachers and lecturers and philosophers flocked to because that they could come and be heard and be listened to and debate with other clever people um, of their time and their place. And so the mind and the intellect were highly rated in Corinth. And so you can get a sense here of how Paul's message would go down with some in that place. Because Paul was saying, you know, God turns the tables. He turns things upside down. The cross um, is foolishness to some. For others, it's a stumbling block, he says in our passage. In verse 18, he says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so Paul here, writing to these intellectual Greek types, says, you know, the cross may appear utterly foolish. You know, if you know anything about kind of the Greek myths, the Greek gods, the idea of who the Greeks would think are the winners in life, they, they are the strong. They're the people who are clever. Winners don't get crucified and die. That is not the way it works. For a Greek, that would be, that would be completely ridiculous. And so in a society where wisdom is valued, the opposites were despised in their culture. The idea of being foolish was shameful. It was despised. Slaves were the bottom of the rung of society. They were looked down upon. Those with disabilities were despised because they aren't the strong ones in, uh, in that culture. And so what seems to be happening here is Paul clearly got the message that his, his message about who God is, about, um, about sending Jesus to die on a cross, and this idea that a weak person dying for others would somehow make them strong was inappropriate at best. It was uh, not going to fly with these clever Greek types. And to the Jews, they, he says, well, they look for a sign. If you like, you know, the Jews say, show me. The Greeks would say, you know, prove it to me, reason with me, argue with me. And if you're, um, if you're listening today, you might be watching um, at home. You might not consider yourself to be a person of faith. Um, or you might have been a Christian for, for a long, long time. But either way, it's worth asking that question. What is it that convinces you of faith in God? Or what is it that you need to be convinced of faith in God? You know, so for some of us, we might say it's a sign, it's a miracle. It's seeing something happen that would convince us that God is real, um, that he's alive today. For others, it, it might be an argument. You know, for many people, um, you know, this, um, what we call apologetics, giving a reason for the faith that we have, is, is, a, is a bedrock of their faith because they've read clever arguments about how God does exist and um, why he is real. And, and it's convinced you of uh, your faith in God. 
But, you know, the truth is, you know, cleverer people will always turn up. You know, miracles can always be explained away. But here, Paul says, ultimately, it all comes down to Jesus and him crucified. And Paul says, no, you know, actually, the message I presented to you was actually right. You may think it's a weak, you may think of it as a foolish message. It may not fit with your intellectual thoughts. But Paul says here that the love of God is most brilliantly revealed in the bloody messy point of execution of the son of god and you know there are some things that many smart and virtuous people value and promote and celebrate and parade uh, that actually god has a very radically different take on and we would all do well to, to slow down and to honestly ask what is jesus's wisdom to live how would he have me live and time and time again, the simple message of Jesus is that actually through the weakness of the cross, that is where our lives are transformed. So Paul says it's a weak message. And then Paul also then goes on to talk about the messengers. What are they like? What are these messengers like? Because he says, you know, it's foolishness to the Greeks. This message is a stumbling block to the Jews. But then he also talks to the messengers. And he describes himself as one of these messengers. And he says, you know, we look around and we can see uh, that it's still true today. Not many of us are the brightest and the best. Not many of us are influential. Not many of us are, as the message says, from high society families. I like that. There's not many of us that are from that. Some perhaps, some of good stock, um, but that's, that's not normal. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, I take that as good news, don't you? Because here he says that God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And today, you might kind of be sat, you might be listening and, and thinking, you know, you're actually, you feel completely washed out. You feel inadequate. And in that place, actually, Paul would say to you, I believe, as he does in this passage, that you're in the perfect place for God to use you. You're in the perfect place for God to use you. Because it's not about us and what we can bring to the table. It's about what God brings to the table, his power working through us. And the reverse of that is also true. That actually, if you think you've got it all together, you think you're doing perfectly well with your life, thank you very much, and you're, uh, yeah, you're able to navigate things all on your own, um, then also I think there'd be a warning here that you're headed for a fall. If you just permit me briefly um, for a bit to get a bit personal. Um, you know, it, it, it feels pretty relevant to me, actually, this passage at the moment. You know, next Sunday will we'll mark, as my birthday, uh, and it will mark a, a year since, you know, Ruth and I felt a bit of a prompting in our lives to, to kind of just ask, you know, is there a new chapter opening up for us uh, as a family? And, uh, you know, this time last year, Ruth and I went on a lovely cycle ride together. And um, as you do when you're kind of, uh, you know, cycling along, we were just reflecting a bit on life and, and just asking God what he had for us uh, next. And for a while, I'd been feeling, um, I'll use this word, relatively comfortable. Um, I'd been sort of perhaps not in an entirely uh, healthy way. 
I kind of got to it as a point, it's times in life where it's good to be comfortable. And there's times in life where continuing to be comfortable actually can become quite unhealthy. And, and I think for us as a family, and particularly for me, I'd felt like I got to a place where I was comfortable. I'm in a wonderful church. I love this church. I'm in a job that I find challenging, but also um, really enjoy it and is rewarding um, for me. And perhaps ironically, in the middle of a global pandemic, I was feeling comfortable. And so I started to ask, you know, actually, God, what's the next thing uh, that you've got for us as a family? What's the next thing that I need to do to be obedient to you? And I, I knew in my heart that actually what that would involve was moving from a place of feeling comfortable to a place of feeling distinctly less comfortable. And I can assure you that is now the case. Um, you know, comfort can take many forms for us. And so I was asking to God, you know, what is, you know, so what is this? You know, wh where are you leading us to next as a family? And so over the last six months or so, I feel that that's become a bit more clear uh, in my mind. And, uh, and just, we just felt that God has been speaking to us. And actually, I think what God's been saying to, to us is actually to choose to, to step away from um, our high-grade family um, that, we, that we know and we love. Um, step away from our, our friends and, and this place, um, Highgrove, that, that's been our home for 16 years uh, or so. And so over the last uh, six months or so, I've increasingly been supporting a church um, just over the bridge in, in Portishead um, who are looking to strengthen their, um, their leadership team. And uh, so it's not far away uh, and is a lovely place. Um, but in many ways, um, for Ruth and I in particular, um, you know, we've seen just the huge opportunity that's, that's there in that place, particularly for young families. There's hundreds of young families in that place, um, but many of them not reached um, with the gospel of Jesus. And so for us, you know, we've been dealing with that heart wrench of, of, of not, wanting, not wanting to go uh, because we, we love it here, but also feeling like actually the next step for us as a step of an obedience is, is also to go. Um, which makes me feel uh, uncomfortable. And I suppose I should uh, blame myself uh, for that, uh, as, as that was our prayer to God. And, and so I just ask for your prayers in that, actually. Um, there's nothing certain, um, but um, I, it's amazing how many people look on right move. Uh, and so you may have seen, uh, you may have seen our house is, uh, is, on, is on the market. Um, in fact, we've, we've agreed someone to buy it. Um, that's the beginning of a road that, uh, uh, you know, isn't yet complete and so we have no idea what the timescales are at this point but I think what we recognize and what I recognize for myself actually is that um, a spiritually healthy place to be is also a place where you're not comfortable uh, where you feel a bit weak where you feel a bit scared actually um, where you feel a bit inadequate for the task and and so I just at a very personal level ask for your prayers for us as a family as we kind of work that through a little bit for us. And I'm sure we'll say more on that um, in the future. But, you know, your circumstances may be um, very different uh, to mine. Um, but I think the same is true for all of us. The same application is there that we need to be completely reliant upon the spirit's power in our lives. If you feel a bit stupid, you feel a bit silly, you feel a bit weak or foolish, actually that's a pretty good place to be for God to use you and for his power to be at work through your life. And so I've just got very two, two very simple applications for all of us. Firstly, it's um, to those who feel comfortable. 
And I challenge you to think, where, where is it that you need to take some risks in your life? Where is it for you that you need to push yourself? If perhaps you feel in control, you feel like everything's going swimmingly well, I'd encourage you to say, so where am I feeling weak? Where am I feeling like I need to see God's power at work? And choose to go toward that place. Choose to take some risks. Choose to put yourself in a position where if God doesn't show up, then you're stuffed. That's a really helpful place to be. So that's my message to you. If today you feel quite comfortable. If this morning though you feel in a place of inadequacy and weakness. My simple message is this, and I think it's borne out in the passage we read. You're in a great place for God to use you. You're in a great place. Step out into that. Embrace that sense of inadequacy and weakness and say in the midst of that God, would you show your power? Would I see you at work through my fumble, feeble acts? Would I see you at work? Let's pray, and uh, I'm going to ask Ed and the band if they come up to uh, finish uh, our service in a time of worship together. Uh, let's stand. Why don't we stand together? Father, we, um, Lord, we thank you for um, this incredible passage and this incredible example to us of of Paul stepping out trying to reason with others trying to persuade them of the gospel and yet recognizing at the same time that um, it wasn't through his wise and persuasive words but it was through a demonstration of the spirit's power that people would recognize you I thank you for the cross Lord I thank you that it towers over us and speaks to each one of us and so this morning, Lord, whether we're comfortable, uh, whether we're playing it, we're, we're feeling in a sense of a weak place this morning. Lord, we ask for your spirit's power to work through us. That we might see you at work in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.